Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Karlsson, 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 the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world hosted by two guys who are going to try to connect everything we say in this episode and we'll see how it goes i am your host elon dubrovsky and with me as always to walk through the league and talk about some injuries some injuries, some hot streaks some cold streaks our bread and butter here at keeping carlson studios it's my uh, very good friend the fantasy hockey robot himself brian come Hello, Elon. Hello, everyone. What a what a I I don't know what to say. That's not the way you usually introduce me. I only realize how routine it is when you break from that routine. Uh, but Elon, I want to correct one thing you said already. You said we're going to walk around the league. We're not going to walk around the league. We're going to run around the league. We're going to romp around the league. We're going to zoom around the league and give you all the fantasy news notes you need to get caught up on the week that was and get ready for the week that will be. <laughs> I almost feel like if you're saying all these different words for running, that almost kind of like slows us down in our efforts to run around the league. So I wonder if that was a little bit uh, contradicting itself. It's still a step up from walk. Oh, I, oh f- fair enough. Okay, so basically you're saying that we can't talk for more than like two minutes about a specific player. So I'll try to keep that in mind as we go on. But yeah, we've got a big show for you today. A lot's gone on over this past week. Ben and Lewis on the Short Shifts episodes have covered a lot of it. But of course, we want to check in now that we've got a couple days of data and see how things are going over in Vegas and in Calgary and lots of other places. So we're going to get to it in just a sec. Of course, before we get started, let's mention that Keeping Carlson very proudly presented by DauberHockey.com. I freaking love DauberHockey.com. Brian. It's the best site. If you love fantasy hockey, like what's a better site than Dauber Hockey where you just read all the articles like daily ramblings, just giving you a recap of the night before. I love the tools over at Frozen Tools. I use it to prep the show. I use it to prep my like fantasy strategies. It's the best. DauberHockey.com. Check it out. But okay, Brian. uh, So yeah, the plan for today's show, as I alluded to at the top, is that we're going to do a callback. We've done this a couple times to your old radio show on CKCU, uh, Ottawa University Radio or Carleton University City Radio. Uh, 93.1 FM, CKCUFM.com if you want to go check it out. And all my archived playlists should still be visible somehow (laughs) if you find your way through the website. But that's not what you wanted to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say that you used to do a radio show there where you would bring up a song and play it because it was like a music show. And then afterwards, you would play another song that was like related to that first song in some way. And then the next song would relate to the previous song and so on. And the whole show like linked so beautifully. And I remember I was even a guest on one of those episodes. I wonder if that episode is available somewhere, the one that we did together. That would be a real blast from the past to listen to. Uh, But yeah, we're going to try that with hockey players, see how it goes. And we're going to start, of course, over in Vegas, because we are now two games into the Jack Eichel tenure uh, going into today's episode. Vegas actually plays tonight, and their game is just starting. We're recording this on Sunday night, so maybe we'll be able to give you some updates as we go. A classic Keeping Carlson trope, like updating live games as people listen to the show the next day. They already know what the results were. But yeah, not the most exciting start for Eichel in Vegas, right? A 2-0 loss to the Avs on Wednesday, where Jack had zero points and only one shot. Then on Friday, he did pick up an assist on a Pacioretty goal, but didn't take any shots. Uh, The lines have already been shaken up a lot. Like, I remember when it was first announced that Eichel was going to come back, we saw Dodonov uh, lining up with Eichel and Pacioretty, and I know a lot of people rushed to grab him, and that was clearly a mistake because Dodonov stinks. 
He's not very good when it comes to fantasy value, and he was quickly dropped to the bottom six. Uh, Chandler Stevenson took the spot on Friday with, uh, you know, Pacioretty and Eichel, and then Marcia So Smith and Carlson got reunited. They even scored a first period goal in that Friday game. Uh, looks like the lines are going to be the same for today. So we'll again check in as we go. But Brian, what's your early take? Two games in on Eichel in the desert. Like, is there any reason for concern yet, or is this just like if there's anyone the house you freaking out? And probably they're not. But if they are is this like the best buy low opportunity because he's Jack Eichel and you shouldn't be worried about two games where he I mean it's like patches though I don't like the low shots it always concerns me with the low shots but again it's yeah only two games only two games and pretend it's the second game of the season right and that's where you're going to find my take on Jack Eichel except not only is it just the second game of the season for Jack Eichel he's on a new team he hasn't played in a calendar year the rest of the league has already played 45 or 50 games and Eichel is coming off a significant injury. If he ticked just one of those boxes, we'd be ready to forgive a slow start, but he ticks all those boxes. So we have to be ready to at least be a little patient with Jack Eichel. You know, I think back to Brady Kachuk at the start of the season after holding out from his contract, took him two to three weeks to find his game through a lot of uh, COVID stop starts too, but he was basically just taking one box. The rest of the league had played 10 games or so at that point, and Brady Kachuk needed a week or two to get back into shape, missed training camp to get back up to speed. Um, by the way, speaking of COVID, I will just say, keep that in mind. I don't know if you remember, but Nikita Kucherov got COVID shortly after he returned from a, an extended stay on the shelf. And so I wonder if, uh, if Eichel's gonna catch it too since he hasn't been around and maybe he hasn't had it yet and in any case it's just an aside and something we need to consider now in fantasy hockey in any case for anyone waiting for eichel to rescue their season like look it's a tall order for a guy working through all of the above that we just mentioned but i'm not shaken in my belief at all that eichel is still a heavy shooting hundred point player when he gets up to full speed which yeah might take a week or two or three but you have to at least give him a chance. Meanwhile, Max Pacioretty, you mentioned him, Elon, so I'm going to just jump to him for a second. In uh, I went back and looked at his game logs from the last few seasons, starting back at the start of the 2019-20 season. In the 134 games leading up to Patch's recent injury, Pacioretty had three or more shots on goal in 110 of them. And now Pacioretty has gone seven straight games without doing that once. He's had one or two shots each in seven consecutive games, something is still not right with Max Pacioretty. Like, I'm very comfortable saying that now. He doesn't seem to be snapping out of, you know, and easing back into things. This is just a theme now. He did score two goals in his most recent contest. That's great. It won't be his most recent contest by the time you hear that. But, you know, I, I would be thinking if I have Pacioretty, you might need to be thinking about bailing on him if you can get a good chunk of his pre-injury value back. Like, you're not going to get 100% of Patch's value from anyone who's paying attention. But if you can pull back, like, 80% or 90% would be great of Patch Reddy's value, I think I would. Uh, so if you have Patch Reddy, it might be time to to go shopping and make the assumption that, hey, maybe he doesn't start shooting again. Hmm. Well, yeah, I guess the thing is on the side of keeping him or in trying to sell him in terms of what you're going to say is you could say he's playing with Eichel now and even strengthen on the power play. If you're not shaken by Eichel, then maybe even if there's something a little wrong with him, maybe Eichel can help fix that. But obviously, this is all speculation. We will definitely need a few more games of data to see how things shake out. And guess what? We're five minutes into the game today against San Jose. Eichel already has a shot. So that means he's what, like... uh 
on pace for six shots in this game, if my math is correct. So maybe he's about to go nuts. But yeah, nothing for Pacioretty yet. But again, it's only like five minutes into the game. Uh, another slumping night, though, that I've got to ask you about is Alex Petrangelo. He's only managed a single goal and zero assists in his last 10 games. This has just one point in 10 games. Uh, Vegas seems to be running a clear power play one and power play two setup most games. I remember like in previous years, Pacioretty got to play on, even if it was power play two, he still got like 45% of the power play time. But like hasn't been like that lately. Even earlier this season, he was getting more power play time. But yeah, it's not looking good lately. In fact, I recall Petrangelo struggling out of the gate as well. Uh, but we weren't too worried because he was taking lots of shots, getting the power play time. But now, while I know he's not going to like turn into like a Jeff Petrie, who like, you know, a guy who was so viable last year, then totally disappeared, though, actually, he's kind of turning it around too. we'll get to him in a sec. Uh, I do wonder if it's time to start lowering our expectations of what Petrangelo will bring to the table for the rest of the season. Like he's currently pacing for 46 points, which is like way down from what it was looking like 10 games ago. But at this point, if you had to predict for the rest of the season, do you see him ending the season higher or lower than that 46 point mark? If uh, you're forcing me to choose, which you are, that's the whole point of the show. I'm gonna we're gonna take the over just by a little, though. Uh, what we see from Petrangelo this year is that he's a little less involved offensively, even though he's actually playing more minutes per night at five on five than he has in the last four years. But with that, he's not shooting any more often. In fact, he might be shooting a little less. He Petrangelo has lower shot rates uh, this year than he has in the last couple of years. He's also got lower points participation, which might be uh, bad luck or it might be connected to him taking fewer shots and therefore getting fewer assists because less of fewer of his shots are being tipped or uh, put in on a rebound. Uh, Potential also has another number that's working against him. That's his on-ice shooting percentage. That probably explains the missing handful of points that we might have expected to see from Petrangelo. But do remember that he's been a 45 to 50 point player his entire career outside of two seasons. And one of those seasons, uh, both of them were 60 point seasons, roughly. One of those, he had a high five on five points participation rate that helped him get those extra points. And the other one, he was on a power play heater, which helped him get those extra points. So both situations that he wasn't a 45 to 50 point player, I can see why he got those extra 10 points or so and expected regression following that. So while Petrangelo has been cold lately, I can look back and say, okay, 46 point pace, his whole season looks about right. And I definitely don't think it's time to give up on him because he's been quiet for 10 games. So I do think it hammers home the point that we're not about to see another 60 point season come to Petrangelo without some kind of luck or significant change in deployment, like being a, a John Carlson type of power play quarterback, which, which ain't happening, right? And the former piece uh, having some more luck, it's been tilting against him for the last few weeks. Of course, we'd always tilt, tilt for him, but it's not something we should rely on to make something happen. So again, you ask me to over under that 46 point pace, I'd love to take a push, but if I had to, I'd go over, which is to say, I think that potential is more likely a 47 to 50 point pace guy rest of season than a 42 to 45 point pace rest of season. Okay, so you're saying it's going to hover around where he is now. I just hope he bounces back from only one point in his last 10 games. Sounds like you're saying it probably will since he's just having some bad luck there. Uh, but yeah, anyone who drafted him hoping hoping for one of those 60-point seasons, like you said, that's very unlikely. Uh, one last thing in Vegas. Uh, Laurent Poissois has been playing with with Leonard on the shelf. Uh, ben and Lewis talked about maybe people wanting to go out and grab Brossois. Hasn't been the exciting ad that maybe he looked like he would be, like two losses so far. And it looks like Logan Thompson is getting the start today against the 
Sharks. And then who knows, maybe Leonard will be back. Actually, the Golden Knights don't play again for a while. It's like next weekend. So if you added Brossois, probably now is the time to let go. But anyways, I brought up Jeff Petrie before as someone who I was worried that Petrangelo might be turning into. But actually, that might be a good thing at this point, because all of a sudden, it seems like Petrie has woken up a bit since Martin St. Louis took over as the coach of the Habs. He scored a goal last Sunday versus Buffalo in a game where he also produced two shots, three hits, three blocks. Then on Wednesday, he put up two assists versus St. Louis in the upset win, along with, again, four shots, three hits, three blocks. Then the Habs played earlier today against the Islanders. And guess what? Another goal for Jeff Petrie. At first, the goal was credited to someone else who, like, I hadn't even heard of, a Pezzetta. And I was like, ah, you know, like, I, I, oh, the reason why I was interested in that is because I streamed in Jeff Petrie for my uh, Kakupful Tier 1 Sweden team. And then I saw that this Pezzetta scores, ah, it's just a schmoll, who cares? But then it turned into a Petrie goal, so I was very happy about that. And again, another game where he stuffed the stat line pretty well. Petrie, along with that goal, two shots, four hits, two blocks. So I don't know, Brian, this is starting to look like the stat lines that Petrie was putting up last year when everyone was loving him so much and what led to him being this high pick that turned out to be such a bust for people this year. Uh, So is there any chance that Martin St. Louis has totally turned Jeff Petrie's season around? Like, yeah, he's not on the top power play like we would have thought he would be going into the year. For some reason, Chris Weidman has still been holding that spot even though he does nothing with it. But hey, if he's going to give me all those shots, hits, blocks, and get these points like he's been getting lately... I think at the very least, we need to recommend for people to tentatively add Jeff Petrie if he's available for free agency, especially since Montreal plays Monday and Wednesday next week. So why not just get those two early week games from Petrie and then, you know, figure things out from there. But I'm definitely interested in what I'm seeing so far. The reason you're interested in the reason Petrie is doing things again on the score sheet, I think that story is told at least a little bit by time on ice because Petrie got heavy usage early in the year when things weren't going well for anyone in Montreal. I mean, that's been the case all year, but at the start of the year, it was particularly jarring how bad things were. And then uh, while Petrie was seeing like 23 to 25 minutes a night off the hop, he saw his time on ice cut by two or three minutes a night in the months that followed. And now over his last few games, Petrie's back up to 23 and a half minutes per night on average. And he's also spent plenty of time on the penalty kill, which has kind of already been his thing, but he might have gotten a few extra penalty, like penalty kill shifts in uh, maybe just by virtue of being shorthanded more often. But that, of course, could help with blocks. And of course, that time on ice, as you alluded to, Elon, coincides with a coaching change where Petrie uh, could benefit from having someone new behind the bench. He seemed pretty miserable at times this year. And so maybe that coaching shakeup is good to reset him and help him start fresh. Nice banger stats for Petrie. Seems to be finding more offense. So two goals on eight shots. It's not uh, anything to really hang our hats on over the last few games, but it is promising that Petrie has taken at least two shots for three consecutive games now, which had only happened on two other occasions this year up until this moment. And I actually did not check the final shot total for today's game against the Islanders and to find out whether that's four straight games with two shots or not. Anyway, it's a new coach, maybe time for a fresh look for Petrie and, and a busy early week schedule is a pretty good time for you to take him for a spin on your fantasy rosters, especially in a bankers format. As you said, get, uh, get some quick feedback on whether or not he can keep this up or not with Monday, Wednesday games. If Petrie has been uh, wasting away in free agency, now might be a time to take that second look at him. Yeah, it's especially going to be fun because imagine if Petrie is back and Ben is the one who drafted him in my cupful division and I think uh, the 
our other league we're in with him. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get Petrie in the other one, but it is always fun when you have a friend who drafted a player and then dropped him, and then you get the player, and then he starts producing for you. It's a little bit, good trash talk opportunity. So if, if anything, grab Jeff Petrie just for the opportunity to trash talk the person who drafted him way too high and dropped him in your league. Uh, speaking of the Habs, of course, we have to mention that, Brian, your favorite guy, Andrew Hammond, who you tweeted about. I remember at one point, what was it? Like, Camp Talbot got injured, and you're like, let's see what uh, <laughs> Hammond's going to do on yeah. Minnesota. That didn't pan out, but he did finally get a game for Montreal today against the Islanders, and he was great. He stopped 30 of 32 shots and also uh, enough shots in the shootout to get the 3-2 shootout shootout win uh so i don't know i mean it looks like caden primo's in the minors now and it's going to be at least for the short term hammond and montembeau's net over in montreal and i don't have much faith in sam montembeau i know he had a good game against st louis earlier in the week but who knows i mean obviously this is for super deep leagues where goalies are hard to get but i don't gotta be interested in a goalie who's just come in and had a good game and potentially has a path to be the starting goalie at least until jake allen comes back right Absolutely. The the door is wide open for Andrew Hammond to have an impact, which it feels like it has been before. And it's crazy that no other team has really wanted to give him a consistent shot up until now after that miracle run he had in Ottawa. I guess everyone just thinks it was a miracle, but we've never really had the chance to to find out and see if there might be more that Hammond has to offer. And here we have a chance because there's really nobody else in Montreal up to the job of playing goalie. Sam Montembeau, Elon, you're like, yeah, he had a good game recently. Yeah, that's often how it happens. Like he, he stops 46 of 49 or 50 shots, and then he collapses shortly after. It's, al- it's almost like a Vejmelka situation, right, in Arizona, where you want to add the guy, but it's really a 50-50 chance at best that he's going to put up a good start for you. So Andrew Hammond, I'd love to see get a fresh crack. I assume Montembeau is going to start on Monday, But if he doesn't have a great game, I would love to see Hammond back in the net on Wednesday to just see how far he can he can run with an opportunity that he hasn't had in a long time. Yeah, definitely a story to watch because maybe Montreal won't be as terrible a team with Martin St. Louis as the coach. So far, so good for him and the Habs lately. Okay, so the other big news out of Montreal this week was Tyler Toffoli being traded away from Montreal to Calgary. He scored in his Calgary debut versus Columbus on Tuesday from his third line with Monaghan and Dubé. But then uh, Toffoli went pointless in the 6-2 win over Anaheim on Wednesday. And to make that Wednesday game look even more concerning, uh, if you have Toffoli, Toffoli only saw 29 seconds of power play time on ice, meaning he wasn't on the top power play, uh, which was held by Gaudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk, Monaghan, and Rasmus Anderson. And he also wasn't on the second power play with Backlund, Lucic, Manjapani, Hannafin, and Shillington. That's right, even Milan Lucic saw more power play time on ice than Tyler Toffoli on Wednesday. And then, in Saturday's game versus Seattle, Calgary didn't get a power play, so we can't comment on what happened there. But again, Toffoli went pointless, and he only played 12 minutes and 16 seconds, only managed one shot on goal and here's the thing like Calgary won all three of those games that I've mentioned and in fact they've now won nine games in a row so it's hard to imagine coach Sutter changing this deployment up like anytime soon right like things are rolling in Calgary the way it is so with all this in mind like how long do you hold a Tyler Toffoli who is looking like a guy who just went from being a line one power play one stud to like a line three maybe no power play or barely any power play non-bud to your fantasy team it's really hard for anybody who had to fully. This is the classic deadline deal that we warn about, right? If you have a good player who's on a bad team, who's going to be traded, then you're in trouble because they're going to be more of a depth 
participant on that new team than they were with their old team. That said, only recently Toffoli had found his game in Montreal, and it hadn't even been going on that long, too. He had uh, 14 points in 13 games, which is great uh, on either side of an injury, so it wasn't even all coming straight through in those 13 games. Uh, But before that, it had not been a successful season for Tyler Toffoli, just like we could say for anyone in Montreal. And uh, now he gets to try and contribute on a Calgary team that has a much more crowded depth chart. And as you said, Elon, the team was rolling in Calgary before Toffoli came along. So maybe they don't change things up in the middle of that. But also, I, I think there's also a lot that he has successfully done in Calgary that hasn't shown up on the score sheet. I was reading uh, an article at The Athletic about Tyler Toffoli's early games with the Flames by Darren Haynes, and and he showed video examples of how close Toffoli's line with Monaghan and Dylan Dubé came to putting more points on the board and like how they easily could have had three points each in a night had things just gone, you know, a little differently by inches. So yeah, it's, it's not ideal for Toffoli to go from a top line to a not a top line in what's sort of a top nine set up with him in the picture in Calgary. Uh, we knew this was going to be a hit to Toffoli's value, though it's been like kind of low most of the year. So anyone who's had to fold all year, I can't imagine you're too shook by this because basically you're just dealing with more of what you dealt with at the start of the season. But I think if we're looking for what to expect for to the rest of the year, I think a 55, 60 point pace the rest of the season would be reasonable given wow. Calgary's death. There's not know. much you can, there's not much you can do about it. You, oh, you think that's too high? Yeah, that's way too high. Like, if he's a third liner who doesn't get power play time, like, obviously things could change. The thing that we don't know is if Sutter's going to change up the lines. My theory would be he won't change the lines since they're doing so well. Yeah. And the way he's played, he played 12 minutes in the last game. That's not a 55, 60 point player. That's like a 35, 40 point player, maybe. So I think you're you're calling him a third liner. And I, I believe, I understand why. But I think he's probably, I think that third line is going to eventually play the similar minutes to the second line. In Calgary, like but that's, that's speculation, that's my, right? That's not what we saw so far. For sure, that that's just what I what I'd be hoping for. You're right. If I if I have to fully, and I feel like he's a tool that they can use in a bunch of different ways. Like you said, they're winning right now. Maybe they're not going to change things up, but I don't think they won't change things up. I'm just trying to show a, a little bit of hope for Toffoli managers going forward because there's not. I mean, what's what do you think, Elon? You wh- where do you have him? Like, do you think he's going to stick? Like, d- let's just talk deployment wise, because I agree. If he stays in his current deployments, like fifty point pace, we can hope. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not like disagreeing with you in terms of, like he. I think he has upside for fifty five, sixty. But I think the way you said it, it almost sounded like you were saying that's what you're expecting and not higher. When I think that, like, I think best case scenario at this point is maybe he could be a fifty five, sixty point guy, like if he gets shuffled around the lineup a little bit. But he's not the top line, top power play guy he was in Montreal or in like Vancouver for that short stretch. So. I don't know. I feel like if I had him and I need to win now, I would probably drop him and then obviously watch him closely and watch game day lines and see if anything changes. But with his current deployment, I really doubt he has any impact in fantasy aside from maybe a goal every couple, you know, kind of like maybe a uh, Mikhail Backlund, you know, before the trade, you know, like Backlund had that good run, but he's never someone that you could really depend on just because of his deployment and looks similar, maybe even worse for Tivoli if he's not even going to be on the second power play. I'd imagine that won't last, but at the same time, it's just like when Calgary keeps winning, you know, uh, very hard to predict in a new situation, but so far not not looking great, as I guess all I'll say. Not looking great for Toffoli, for sure. He doesn't have, obviously, the same free ride to the top line, and I don't even know if there's room for him on the top line. So you're right, Elon. I was trying to be rosy about it, but I also need to be realistic for anybody who has him uh, that 
you might need to consider giving him up if you don't see the deployment change before long. Speaking of someone you won't want to give up, Jack Eichel has officially scored his first goal as a Vegas Golden Knight set up by none other than Chandler Stevenson. Yeah, I told you, Stevenson yeah. and Eichel and Pacioretty are on the same uh, line now. Well, I, I was trying to present it like uh, everyone would assume I was going to go Max Pacioretty. Oh, I it see. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess Pacioretty was probably on the ice. Uh, Alex Petrangelo, though, with the other assists. So there we go. We just covered that Vegas talk. Brian said that he doesn't expect the Eichel or Petrangelo cold streaks to hold. And I promise I you, right. we, record, we recorded that before the goal. This wasn't just us trying to make ourselves sound smart here. Okay, so uh, we mentioned that game where Tyler Toffoli and the Flames beat Anaheim 6-2, to two, and it must have been very frustrating if you were a Toffoli manager to see six goals come in and nary a point come your way. Uh, of course, on the other side of that game was poor John Gibson, who let in all of those goals for the Ducks. And man, Brian, what the heck is going on with John Gibson lately? Like, he seemed on track. Like, by the end of January, it was looking like Gibson was going to be putting up this, like, really strong, consistent season, one that he hasn't really had for a long time. But things have really fallen apart recently. Gibson has given up four-plus goals in each each of his last four games. Somehow he still outplayed Demko and Halak in the 7-4 win over the Canucks on Saturday, but still, I'm starting to get worried that we're seeing Gibson fall into this like now familiar pattern with him where I think it's happened like two other seasons in recent history where he started really strong. It was looking like, oh man, Gibson, he's back. And then he like totally falls apart at some point. Like I, I recall the 2019-20 season, he started on a huge tear. People were talking about him as a potential Vesna candidate after a month or two. And then by the time the COVID cancellation happened, he was letting in like three goals against or more every it was like three goals against was like a good start for John Gibson if anyone remembers that so Brian what's going on here is Gibson still a goalie that people should feel comfortable relying on for the rest of the season or are we getting to a point where maybe he's like a Philip Grubauer where yeah he'll still very likely play a lot but you can't really rely on him to put up good rate stats on a given night we love John Gibson on this show at least I do and you've got one part of that right Elon that John Gibson's best month is always October. You look at his splits from the last couple seasons, stellar October, and the wheels fall off shortly after. But over the course of Gibson's career, which has been plenty long, right? He's had a lot of time. He's 28 years old. He's had nine seasons or parts of nine seasons in the NHL. He's established himself as a, as a one-time elite goalie. Now, he hasn't reached elite height since 2017-18, but he has generally been pretty good and not somebody who the wheels always fall off of until recently. Um, so I was digging more into John Gibson's splits. And you know I'm not a big splits guy, right? Like we can't read a whole lot into split stats. They're fun to look at. They're uh, sometimes illuminating, but generally you don't want to put too much stock into what you see there. But in looking into whether there's been a pattern with Gibson having the wheels fall off the way they have for the last week or two, guess what I found? The worst month, like you mentioned how he always starts great. Yeah, the best month in Gibson's career, October. The worst month in John Gibson's career, February. I'm not even kidding. This is the thing. The guy's a 918 goalie in his career from October to January. And he's a 902 in 53 career February games. The good news is that Gibson is a career 916 in March. So I have no idea what this means. Again, these are split stats. We're not going to put too much stock in them. I don't know if there's any validity to it, but I have two theories. I'm like, okay, why is John Gibson not doing well in February? First theory, he's tired. This guy's a workhorse. He plays so much. February is maybe when he starts feeling the wear and tear. 
maybe there's also the trade deadline. That's another theory. Things change on the team around him that impacts how the team plays and the systems and his own numbers. Another theory, he's really awkward about Valentine's Day and he doesn't know what to get the person that he <laughs> wants to get a Valentine for. And then after it, they're always really disappointed and he takes it personally. So there's a lot of reasons why John Gibson might have trouble in February. Either way, looking at these splits is as good as any of the usual voodoo that we try to use as research and explanation to explain uh, why a goalie is struggling. So for Gibson managers, look, this is only a short slide. I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill here. Uh, I'd hang on till March. Gibson managers, this, by the way, has been a solid bounce back year for Gibson on the whole. Not up to the bar he set for himself in his best years, but also a marked improvement on the last two seasons before this one, which were basically terrible, like in the low 900s. Now he's back up in the nine teens area. He's not quite up above 920, which is where he established his elite numbers, but it's good to see John Gibson finding success. And I hope he steps up again and recovers from this slide before long. Yeah, I think he was above the 920 before this recent cold streak. So yeah, hopefully he could just bounce back. Anaheim had that stretch where it was like everything they touched turned to gold. All their players were hot. Uh, Gibson was riding high, uh, but it's sort of fallen apart. Though I guess the forwards actually are doing pretty well lately. Like I said, they did win that 7-4 game against Vancouver. So even though Gibson didn't do well, they were still able to pull off that win. And even with Ryan Getzlaff injured, Trevor Zegras, he had himself a week, right? I started feeling great last week about... Remember I was talking about how I bet on... A Moritz Sider to win the Calder, and it was looking like he was starting to run away with it a little bit. But now, I don't know, Zegris is trying to steal my money. He had a goal and an assist versus Edmonton, then three assists versus Vancouver on Saturday. And there's a couple widely available guys producing on that top power play with Zegris, like Sonny Milano, Jamie Drysdale. Um, Milano's up to four points in his last three games. Drysdale has picked up a power play assist in three of his last four games. I noticed that Ricard Raquel is only 11% rostered on Yahoo, which surprised me. I feel like I just assume he's like, in all my leagues, he's rostered. So I guess I just assume that that's the case in most leagues. But I guess I understand why he hasn't had the best season. But now he has four goals and one assist in his last six games. He also got a shutout on this week's stream scheme with Dave Benton. So check that out. He's, I don't want to spoil it, but he may or may not be one of Dave's picks for the week. Uh, at even strength, Zegers has been playing with Adam Henrique and Jacob Silverberg. Henrique has scored three goals in his last two games and Silverberg has three assists in his last four games. I mean, I don't want to totally paint this as like all these people are just succeeding because of their exposure to Trevor Zegers, but I don't think it could hurt. And I feel like I'm starting to feel like I want to have a play. If I can't get Zegers, maybe I just want a guy who plays with him either at even strength or on the power play. So Brian, I know it's your favorite thing that I ever ask you to do, but would you be up for ranking these five ducks that are running hot right now that have exposure to Zegers going into a three-game slate next week versus the Sharks, Kings, and Islands? So that's, and these are all players who are available in a lot of people's leagues. We got Milano, Drysdale, Raquel, Henrique, Silverberg. How would you rank these guys? And do you concur that having this Zegris exposure is starting to look like something you want to go after? It's something you want to go after. Absolutely. We've seen the ducks get hot before. You don't want to miss the boat. No pun intended. Duck boats. What's the, duck, what what's the, a duck boat? I don't, there's a, there's a type of boat that goes like sort oh, amphibious boat. You know what those are? I'm not a big nautical guy, so I don't really know, unfortunately. It's not really nautical. They're like tour boats that can go on land and on water. There was a bad accident with one in Ottawa not long ago. But you don't want to miss the boat um, f- with these Anaheim guys who are exposed to Trevor Zegras. 
I unfortunately had to give up Sonny Milano while he was injured uh, because I had a full injured reserve and I decided he needed to get the chop. Unfortunately, he's come back. Well, fortunately for everyone else, he's come back and done really well. So I'm sad about that. I think both he and Jamie Drysdale make decent pickups and Ricard Raquel, all these guys you mentioned. Just keep in mind, Elon, you mentioned they have three games next week. Anaheim plays uh, just once on a very busy Tuesday before they get to their Friday-Sunday schedule to end the week. So if you're looking to add games and stream in some extra games played, you might want to wait till after Tuesday if you can, but you might not be able to the way the Ducks are going. You want me to rank them? I would like Raquel, then Milano, then Drysdale, then Henrik, then Silverberg. There is my quick Anaheim Ducks depth power ranking. Uh, Do you concur? Yeah, I guess so. Maybe like Raquel is number one. I like that. I think maybe Milano and Henrique, you could go either way. Uh, Drysdale, obviously, is, you know, it's hard to like compare forwards and defensemen. Like, but Drysdale, I like him if you need a defenseman and he's on that top power play. He's starting to produce there. Yeah, I agree with Silverberg Glass. But yeah, all these guys are are pretty interesting. But like you said, Brian, yeah, check to make sure you can fit the player you add into your Tuesday lineup if you're doing a short-term stream. Uh, so going back to that 7-4 win over the Canucks that I was talking about on Saturday, while Vancouver's goaltending clearly wasn't a high spot in that game, it's great seeing Elias Pettersson turning things around. EP40 had a goal and two assists in that game that brought him to eight points in his last five games. Brian, can we be confident that everything is good now? Pedersen will end the season like we expected him to in our drafts, or is now the time to be scrambling to get a big return in a trade for Pedersen before he turns back into a pumpkin like he's been most of the season? Remember when I said, and I'm sure you do because I said it often enough, give Elias Pedersen the all-star break to reset. That's going to be his last chance to reclaim his season. And look at what he's got. Eight points in five games for Pedersen since the all-star break. Uh, your question is a good one. Is he back on track? I can't say for sure. And so there's obviously some risk involved if you hold Pedersen. Uh, and with that said, I wouldn't thumb my nose at an offer that got me like a reliable 70-plus point player in return. I'd take that deal. I'd trade off... 10, 15 points of upside from Pedersen rest of season for somebody I can rely on and not have to worry about. And that's where I stand with Pedersen. Is he back? Maybe. But how much risk can you tolerate? That's going to decide what you do with him. If I had him in any of my leagues, I would definitely do some quick shopping around. I feel like it's still just based on this last run. You're not going to get full value back for him. Uh, But I'd be curious to see if anyone is trading Pedersen or considering trading Pedersen. I'd love to see it. Uh, If you're a patron on our Discord server, and if you're not, uh, at us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. But I would set my asking price at somebody who's on a 70-point pace this season. Maybe... I'd go down to a 65-point guy, but I don't think I would. I think I'd rather take the risk on Pedersen if that's how far I'm trading down in terms of upside. Okay, yeah, fair enough. It's it's exciting to see. I famously bought his Young Guns card, for, uh, or I got my boss to pick it up for me at the back of a dumpster, and I was hoping that it wasn't for nothing. So hopefully the value is going to go up enough now to make that transaction worth it. Uh, by the way, speaking of the Canucks, uh, a lot of them are running hot lately, like uh, JT Miller, Brock Besser coming off great weeks. OEL performed so well while Hughes was out. So I guess keep that in mind for the next time Quinn Hughes is expected to miss some time. Maybe OEL will go on another run, but I would probably let him go now, uh, now that 
that Hughes is back. I think he's going to go back to what he was doing before. Uh, also, check out Luke Shen. He had eight hits and seven blocks yesterday. That's not something you see every day. So if you need your peripherals, uh, Luke Shen has the potential to really win you a week there. Uh, but one guy who's maybe available in some leagues and has come alive lately playing with Leas Pedersen is Connor Garland, who after going cold for most of January has woken up. He had a goal and an assist versus Anaheim, and that brought him to five points in his last five games. I know, Brian, you've generally been down on Garland this season, and for a while it looked like you were right. Uh, he was even recently dropped in like a couple tier one division where I used my last move of this week to grab Petrie, like I said, for his Monday, Wednesday next week. So now anyone listening before 3 a.m. today has the chance to snipe me on Connor Garland if you tell me that it's crazy that he's in free agency, or do you think he's someone that it's fine that I left him and grabbed Petrie or whoever instead? Uh, just get, get, I want to get your general sense of how you're feeling about Garland for the rest of the season and whether he'll be able to keep up this recent run. My feel on Garland is that he's serviceable. I think that's the bottom line. And I don't think his value has changed a whole lot from what we saw from him in Arizona last year, right? We saw him run really hot and really cold in Arizona. And looks like that's followed him here to Vancouver. Uh, He's on a nice little run, but he's also seen fewer than 15 minutes in three of his last five games. So I I really do think the the best word I can use to describe Connor Garland is he's serviceable. Like, he's a decent guy to try out on a stream or a depth piece in a league if a 50 to 55 point pace guy is worth rostering. But otherwise, I don't think he's someone to get overly excited about, although the lines were pretty strange or different or new. I, I don't know if strange is too judgmental in Vancouver in their last game. So Horvat was centering Besser and Miller. And Garland was playing with Elias Pedersen, and that seems to be, and Tanner Pearson was a third piece. That seems to be working for everyone. So maybe yeah. it. Well, sticks. they did lose. They did lose seven four. So it's possible <laughs> yeah, but, that. But it Tanner didn't work. Pearson also got two points. So if that line holds, um, maybe you're interested in Tanner Pearson as a follow up from you know the Garland. If you miss out on Garland, go ahead and try and see if you can get Tanner Pearson. But yeah, that uh, I'm trying to just take a look at the like the 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 Corsi the shots for percentage. And actually, um, Horvat's line did very well. Pedersen's line held their own. They did okay. So it's, uh, I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how the lines shake out. But that's definitely something you need to keep an eye on. If Pedersen does stay off that line with Besser and Miller, I can't tell if the lesson there is be scared of Pedersen or be excited for Garland and Pearson. What do you think? Um, probably a little bit of both. Of course, Patterson still is on that top power play with like Besser, Horvat, Miller, and Quinn Hughes, which is a pretty sweet top power play to be on. And that's the reason why Connor Garland is probably capped in his value is if he's not going to be able to get up there. Uh, but yeah, I think I agree with pretty much everything you said. And also I wouldn't, you know, put too much stock into the lines for the last game again, since they lost. So we'll have to kind of see how things shake out over in Vancouver. Uh, Brian, I've got a really sweet Connor Garland transition coming, but first we are going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors you're listening to keeping carlson and actually i don't need to cut to anything right now because the first ad is something i wanted to talk about right now and that's to talk about our friends over at hello fresh yes we're back talking about hello fresh uh because i just got another box from them this week and it was awesome brian i had these halloumi burgers like I, you know i'm a vegetarian right so you'd think like oh what kind of fun food can you get man this is these like burgers but the instead of a burger it was like halloumi cheese and then it's all this good stuff inside and then like sweet potato fries there's also this amazing chili i had i, I never like 
like chopped so many vegetables. Like I felt like so healthy eating this chili, and it was really delicious. And that's what you get with HelloFresh. You get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You could skip trips to the grocery store. You count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Like I feel like I look really impressive when I make these meals. Like my wife is like, you know, I'm like, hey, check out what I just made. And just, you know, I mean, obviously she could also make these HelloFresh meals, and sometimes she does, and then it comes out like just as well because it's just like I don't know it's really easy you follow the instructions but it really tastes like a really impressive home-cooked meal uh yeah, HelloFresh, they offer you the flexibility you need to easily customize your orders online or in the app. You can, like, change your delivery day, food preferences, plan size. You could skip a week whenever you want. You only get charged if you choose the week, right? So you could sign up and not pay anything until you actually decide to take a box if you like what's on the menu. And I think you will. It's really fun. And if you are somewhat intrigued and you haven't tried it yet, I believe that we have quite the offer for our listeners. Brian, why don't you fill us in on that? It really is quite the offer, especially if you've never had halloumi before. Halloumi is one of the best foods that I only discovered like late too late in life I never even heard of it it's delicious get the HelloFresh box and choose the meal with halloumi and uh, you can do better than just getting it you can get a deal on it if you go to hellofresh.com slash keeping k16 and use code keeping k16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Again, that's go to HelloFresh.com slash KeepingK16. Use that code KeepingK16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts so you can get started with your HelloFresh food box. Impress the people around you. Feel healthy. Eat yummy food. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Yeah, and we'll have a, a link to that in the show notes in case you miss the Keeping K-16. That's not generally the offer code that we have for these things, but it's definitely worth your time. Okay, so like I said, we're going to keep uh, running around the league, starting with, again, my uh, very huge reach with Connor Garland. You're going to hear it in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back. We were just talking about Connor Garland over on the Canucks. You know Brian Connor Garland, of course, shares a last name with legendary actress and singer Judy Garland, who starred in the movie Meet Me in St. Louis in 1944, which, by the way, has a hundred percent fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I feel like I should maybe check out this uh, Meet Me in St. Louis movie. Uh, but why don't you meet me in St. Louis, Brian? Where we should check in on Vladimir Tarasenko, who's dealing with an unspecified injury, which kept him out of Saturday's game versus the Leafs. Hopefully for his fantasy managers he's not gonna be out long because he's having such an amazing season 18 goals 45 points in 44 games man what a draft steal brian i'm still kicking myself for not going for him anywhere that was a huge miss uh with tarasenko out our good friend shams who's here in the chat right now uh wrote in the patron discord saying sorry for picking up rob thomas in a league last night you know implying that he like jinxed rob thomas by adding him and now with tarasenko injured thomas isn't going to be able to keep up what he was doing but shams you had nothing to worry about rob thomas played on a line with buchnevich and Jordan Cairo, and he picked up another two assists in the win over the Leafs. That brings Thomas to seven points in his last four games. After he went cold, he only had three assists in his previous eight games, causing him to be dropped in both of my serious one-year leagues. And while I grabbed Shillington ahead of Rob Thomas to start this week, and I missed out on his one goal and two assist game versus Ottawa in the Keeping Carlson Alton Patriot Fantasy League, I made it right because right after Shillington's game on Wednesday, I wanted him off my lineup so badly, and I wanted Rob Thomas so badly that I waited until exactly 3 a.m. I set an alarm on my watch. I went to bed, you know, whatever time. Then my watch went off at 2.59. I groggily woke up, swapped Shillington for Rob Thomas, made my lineup right, went right back to bed, and I woke up on Thursday and then enjoyed the day, including another couple great games from Rob Thomas. And now all of a sudden... 
I wonder if he's someone I should be holding on my team. Maybe he's not just a streamer. Maybe he's someone that I'm going to hold for the rest of the season, especially since St. Louis has a really sweet playoff schedule for anyone who is confident they're going to make it there. And Thomas now, by the way, 39 points in 42 games. That's a 76-point pace. And he's still only rostered in 27% of Yahoo leagues as of the time that I wrote this on Sunday morning. I can't imagine there's too many other 75-plus point pace guys that are less than 30% rostered on Yahoo. So, Bryce, should we be urging our listeners to help boost those numbers and get Thomas to a more reasonable rostered percentage? Yeah, absolutely. You and I DM'd earlier this week about who you should add out of a pile of players. And Rob Thomas was my initial thought. Of course, the conversation went a few different directions. There were other guys for other reasons. But uh, I was actually surprised Robert Thomas was available to you at all. He hasn't been to me in most of my leagues. He was in free agency, of course, because of his Achilles heel, which is that Robert Thomas does absolutely nothing when he doesn't score. And even on nights in the Cupful, that's the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, kkupfl.com for more details. Even on nights that Rob Thomas gets an assist, you you might find that he's outpointed in the Cupful by a second pair defenseman or a middle six player who fills other categories better, like who throws a couple hits and gets a few blocks and a shot or two because Rob Thomas, he scores a point, And that's all he does, literally. So Robert Thomas needs to have big games to be relevant, which he has had plenty of. He's a boomer bust kind of player, but he's also different from some other boomer bust guys because Robert Thomas is also legitimately good. Like he's taken a step forward this year. We talked about it earlier this season. So you have to like that he's not just working on riding someone's coattails and picking up an incidental point here or there. He's capable of generating and joining in on offense better than he ever has been before. And Robert Thomas looking like a legit top six forward this season for the first time in his career. Just make sure when you're considering adding him, weigh his contributions and his style of play against your league setup. Robert Thomas is going to be more attractive in straight-up points leagues than leagues that have uh, categories or an emphasis on bangers or leagues that don't have big weights on assists. So just uh, you really, this he's a very format-specific kind of ad, but if he's available, he's at least worth looking at. Yeah, it also seems like, and obviously this could just totally be nothing, and it probably is, but it seems like he's a bit streaky in terms of these point runs, right? He had that stretch where he was really hot earlier in the year after starting kind of cold. Now he's hot again. So I don't know if that's real or if it's just, you know, uh, like a funny stat that just happens to be random and it's working out that way because of clumping. But right now, I think you want Robert Thomas uh, if your league at all values points. And then if he gets cold and he's not like producing like this, then obviously you have to reassess. But right now he's like top line, top power play. St. Louis has been running some interesting power plays and he's been getting a lot of the time so yeah I'm definitely interested in him uh, but you know who's rostered in more leagues than Rob Thomas right now it's Ivan Barbashev and while Thomas is surging Barbashev is is purging any goodwill he garnered with his hot run in December and early January he's now pointless in 10 games hasn't even taken a shot in his last two games. Barbashev played with Shen and Sunkvist on Saturday, and he was on the ice for the Shen goal. So I guess you could say, oh, bad luck. Like if he had a higher IPP, maybe he deserved a point there. But still, like Ivan is looking like a tough hold at the moment. Uh, that said, Thomas was also looking like a rough hold for a minute. And look at him now. Plus, Barbashev has been seeing lots of power play time on ice lately. Generally great for hits. So Brian, are you seeing anything to indicate? Like obviously this would be easy, right? To say Barbashev hasn't gotten a point in 10 games, just drop him. But you know, 
we here at Keeping Carlson want to dig a little deeper. So is there anything in that, like, underlying numbers to indicate that Barbashev might still be worth holding at this point or worth grabbing in anticipation of that good playoff schedule coming up? Or are you, like, snoozing big time if he's still on your roster? I'm leaning towards saying you're snoozing if you still have Barbashev on your roster. There were a couple things that were floating Barbashev's numbers earlier this year when we were buying in to some extent, but we knew he was running a little hot. And one of the reasons was because he had an on-ice shooting percentage at five on five that was too high. St. Louis was scoring on 10.5% of their shots with Barbashev on the ice. That was not something we could compare. We could, we could actually expect to hold. Compare that to Barbashev's lifetime on ice shooting percentage, which is 7%. That's actually low. And the reason that it's been low is because Barbashev has never had good line mates on a consistent basis before this season. So we should at least say, yeah, Barbashev should be seeing more pucks go in uh, while he's on the ice. Uh, compared to past years because he's playing with better players, but more than line mates, he's also had some luck on his side. Barbashev also had eight power play points from the second unit uh, by like the 40 game mark. So pacing for 16 power play points over 82 games from the second unit. That is not something that's sustainable either. And it's showing, right? Both of things have already cooled. Barbashev has gone 12 games now without a power play point, which is actually pretty reasonable when you're on the second unit and seeing like a quarter of your team's power play time. And in the last nine games, Barbashev has only been on the ice for two goals scored. That's it. Only two goals have been scored with Ivan Barbashev on the ice. That that explains the slump he's in. It's regression from what we saw earlier on, where he was getting a, a little bit lucky. But there's also some salt in the wound in the form of the pendulum swinging the other way. So I think Barbashev is probably snoozing for now till he puts up meaningful production again. I don't think you need to hold him while you wait for that. Uh, you know, I'm looking at the Blues lineup and I see Brandon Saad. In St. Louis also, he's been a free agent streamer type in most leagues on a 49-point pace. I think that's probably around where we should put Barbashev for the rest of the season as well, especially while he's on the decidedly worst line in the St. Louis top nine. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Let him go for now. Be ready to grab him back if something changes, but maybe you don't need to be holding him. Unless you're like far and away in first, you've got a bye week secured. You know, you're like, there's nothing to play for right now in your league until the playoffs. And St. Louis has that great schedule. So then maybe you can like think a little bit long term and see like if he fits really well in your roster on those weeks, but no guarantees that he's going to get back and produce. Uh, by the way, Brian, I've been doing a lot of bragging about some good moves I've made in Kakuffle, you know, adding Rob Thomas, adding Jeff Petrie. Trust me, I'm riding high, feeling great. So I should probably also confess a blunder from a couple of weeks ago because I dropped Justin Falk. He's someone I drafted in the Cupful. I enjoyed having him. And then going into that annoying two-week matchup where the Blues like didn't play for like 10, 11 games, I dropped Justin Falk. And was, I shouldn't have. I was playing against Jordan, who had so many more games played scheduled than me that I, I had no chance of winning that matchup anyways. But for some reason, I still tried to go for it. Dropped Justin Falk. He then sat in free agency. So it's not only my bad. It was everyone's bad for not grabbing him. But man, since I did that, uh, he's been getting points like every single game. He's got points in six straight now, uh, making a strong case for himself to maybe be the best D to roster in St. Louis, even ahead of Krug. If you look at the production lately and like the ice time and even like sometimes Falk is getting a strong amount of power play time because, again, they were kind of going with two somewhat even power play. So, Brian, how badly do you think I blew that one? Like Falk is on a 46 point pace on the season, which is exactly the same as Petrangelo going into today. So I guess also I could ask you, who would you rather have right now for the rest of the year between Falcon Petrangelo. I would much rather have Alex Petrangelo. I don't think he blew anything except not being able to predict an unpredictable run from Justin Falk. But do keep an eye on him, actually, because it looks like he might have spent 
more time with the with what appeared to me to be the better power play unit last game compared to yeah. Tori Krug. Yeah, so just keep a little eye on the lines. But Falk has been like on fire actually for a few months now. Nineteen points in twenty six games for Justin Falk since late November after an extremely slow start. Ten uh, percent shooting has helped Justin Falk. He scored five goals on forty six shots, and this has also been his most productive season ever at five on five so far, thanks to a 12% on ice shooting percentage. I said Barbashev's was high at 10.5%. Falks is definitely high at 12%. And I think that's largely based on luck. I like ride Falk for as long as he can keep this up. It's hard to say, uh, drop the drop the defenseman who has 19 points in 26 games over a two or three month stretch. But I would rather have Alex Petrangelo the rest of the season. So maybe if you have Justin Falk, this is a time to trade him. Like I would happily uh, trade Justin Falk for Alex Petrangelo straight up. Good luck if you can pull that off. Wow. I mean, I don't know. I think it's like closer than you're making it out to be. I guess we can see. Like, I think that they're both probably around 45 point guys. And Falk right now has, I think, a better chance to get top power play deployment than Petrangelo from what we've been seeing recently. So I don't know. I think it could go either way. It sounds like you're like decidedly on the Petrangelo is better. But you just said that you thought Petrangelo was around a 45 point guy. Like, how low do you think Falk is going to go? He's like, yeah, he's not going to be like 19 points at 22 games. But you really think he's falling like down to like a 35 point guy like he used to be in Carolina? Well, hey, wait a second. You said I said Petrangelo is a 45-point guy, and I distinctly took the over on a 46-point pace oh, the rest true. of the season. Okay. So <laughs> you, said you, wanted to, you said you wanted to push if you had the option. Yeah, but still, that's 46 points. Uh, Justin Falk, I'd, like, I would take the under on it. I think he's probably a 35, 40-point player. That's generally all he's been, especially without meaningful power play time. So, of course, keep an eye out on the power play to see if he does. We've seen him take turns from Tori Krug for short runs at a time, the same way Vince Dunn used to take them from Kevin Shattenkirk, but it's never really stuck. But it's just something to keep an eye on. But if, if Falk isn't getting that top power play production, uh, then I don't expect him to continue um, being able to put up a 46-point pace. Do you think he's a plus 31 this year, Elon? I think Justin Falk is really good. Like, I don't know. Uh, I think this will be fun to check back we've on been, in a little we've while. We've been burned so many times by Justin Falk, right? Like, remember at the start of his career when he was in Carolina? Oh, he was yeah, on the top power play, and he had, like, no five-on-five production to go with it. Like, And he took a ton of shots. He was averaging three shots a game for several years and still getting, like, 40 points on average each season. He was extremely frustrating. And maybe some of that is spilling over to my analysis on him today. But I feel pretty comfortable with Falk being around a 40 point player who's just benefited from some even strength luck with his team scoring on more shots than they normally would while he's on the ice. Okay, fair enough. And and if that's your opinion about Falk, then I'm pretty worried about this next guy I'm about to bring up. I think that I hope his parents aren't listening because, like you said, once upon a time, Falk was the top power play man in Carolina. And while that designation clearly goes to Tony D'Angelo now, I've got to point out that our good friend, and I say that sarcastically, Jacob Slavin, is on a Falk-esque run currently on the Canes as his one power play goal and one assist versus Nashville on Friday brought him to six points in his last six games. Slavin now sits at, get this, 28 points in 46 games on the season. That's a 50-point pace higher than Alex Petrangelo. Uh, Now, Brian, I know I've asked you about Jacob Slavin on the pod many times in the past, whenever he's ran hot, and you've basically always said he'll cool off and be free agent material before long, and you've always been right. But of course, you have to forgive me for asking about him again while he's once again running hot. So is there anything different this time about Slavin's run? Like, 
even if he won't keep up a 50-point pace, can he land at higher than 45? Uh, I'm curious to get your take on him compared to Falk and Petrangelo. I am curious to see how you're going to react to my take on Slavin. I, I will say, I have to say, we must say that Carolina looks fantastic while Slavin is on the ice. They look fantastic all around. And, you know, when we talk about uh, teams like Colorado and Tampa and Toronto and how you want to add their depth guys, including on defense, because they're exposed to so much offense, Carolina should be in that conversation with Colorado, Tampa, and Toronto. They are second in the league and expected goals scored per 60 minutes at five on five. They're behind Florida, Probably should have also included in the group. And ahead of, can you guess the third team? It's not any of the ones I've mentioned so far. I don't know, Brian. Uh, this is really hard. I'm having trouble thinking of the answer. I'm going to go Calgary, I guess. I know they're doing really well, but I, don't, I know it's like more because of Jacob Markstrom, maybe not about all the goals. Am I close? <laughs> If anybody wants to see Elon's full thought process, you can go to our YouTube channel and, rather than the edited one where, Elon, you nailed it. You got it. It took you uh, I didn't look it up. Even though you're right that I took some extra time to think about it, that's not going to make it into the final show, but I didn't look it up. I promise. Okay. No, I believe you. So, yeah, Calgary. So, uh, Florida, Carolina, Calgary, the top three teams in expected goals scored per 60 minutes in the entire NHL. And that's good. For Jacob Slavin. So, you know, actually 40, 40 to 5 points for him, that's possible when you're playing 18 minutes a night at 5 on 5 for a team that is one of the top producers at 5 on 5 in the league. Plus, he should see some uh, some some contributions from the second power play unit, which he has. Speaking uh, of that, actually, Slavin has seven power play points from the second unit, and that's a little high for uh, this point of the season, which is why we're looking, uh, why we see Slavin close to a 50-point pace for the season and why I don't think that's quite going to last. But, you know, I just added Jake Muzzin in the cupful because he's on Toronto. He's exposed to all this talent. Uh, he hits and blocks a little. And I think Jacob Slavin is a comparable type kind of add at this point to Jake Muzzin. So, Elon, uh, this is really good for Jacob Slavin. I'm not poo-pooing him. I am saying he's a 40- to 45-point defenseman. It's good for him. And I'm glad you asked because we have talked about him a lot on the show before. And I've always been like, yeah, don't get excited. Don't get excited, but get interested. Okay. I think if I'm going to rank all these people you've talked about, I'm going to have Petrangelo and Falk tied, which annoys you. Then I'll put Slavin, and then I'll put a few other people, and then I'll put Jake Muzzin. I'm not too... I, if you could swap yeah. Muzzin for Slavin, that's probably a good one. No, oh, Slavin's okay. gone. So I, I checked. But uh, I'd have Petrangelo, and then I'd have Falk and Slavin tied. And actually, oh. if, you made, if you made me pick one, Elon, we, ha- we haven't done a lot of bets lately. I think I might go Slavin rest of the season over Falk. But actually, I'm not going to because, like I said, there is the chance Falk ends up on the top power play and then I'm in trouble. If you wanted to go five on five scoring, I would do that. I definitely wouldn't do that. Like, why not? <laughs> like, that's one of the big reasons I'm into Falk is all that power play time. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, Slavin's on a good run. So I brought him up. And uh, Carolina, you want to get a piece of that team. Except for Martin Natchez, man. He got no shots, no hits, no anything today in that game. He gave me zero couple points. I thought maybe he didn't play. I was excited to be able to stash him in IR. But, no, he played. Just he didn't play in terms of making He's, any impact. We call that a cardio workout. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that's the new word for it on our Discord server, courtesy of Derek. He's been mentioning all the guys who have had good cardio sessions on the ice, who've <laughs> played funny. and have put zeros up across the board. 
Yeah, okay. I think he might be a drop, especially because, you know, I streamed in Jeff Petrie. I'm just thinking out loud here of my strategy. I think that Petrie's probably leapfrog Natchez in who I want to have on my couple teams. So I think when I want to do my next stream, maybe for Connor Garland. Hmm. Okay. Got to, uh, got to figure this out after the show. But Brian, okay. So anytime I think of Tony D'Angelo, who I brought up as the main top power play guy on Carolina, the other player who always comes to mind as someone who also recently got cut by his team after a great season is Evander Kane. You know, he's the other, it's like D'Angelo and Evander Kane. They're always brought up together. And just checking in, Evander Kane has looked great on the Oilers so far, right? Like even with his pointless game versus the Jets on Saturday, uh, Kane went into today's game versus Minnesota with four points in four games on the week after two straight one goal, one assist outings versus the Ducks and the Kings. I see that this game that's going on right now between Minnesota and Edmonton, uh, Mike Smith uh, led in four goals on seven shots and got pulled. So that's a disaster for him. But uh, it is four to one now for Minnesota. And yeah, look at that. Evander Kane with a power play goal. What? So I guess Evander Kane's on the top power play in the last game. Was that Kyman? Okay, I guess scratch everything that I don't even... No, oh, he only has 30 seconds. I don't know what happened here. It looks like he wasn't on the top power play, but he did somehow end up getting a power play goal assisted by Nugent Hopkins and Dreisaitl. So maybe like the unit stayed on or something or a couple guys stayed on. Anyway, I'll have to go watch that highlight. But uh, what is there to say? Anyways, Vander Kane's amazing, right? He's taken three plus shots in every game he's played this season. He's averaging 3.8 hits per game so far. So he's just a stud. And everyone who saw him in free agency for all that time is probably feeling really bad about it, uh, myself included. I don't know what really if there's anything else to say about Evander Kane um, and I guess yeah I don't even have really a question for you because what are you going to say so let me just uh, transition to say how Jesse Pugliarvi is going to be out for four weeks with a lower body injury in Edmonton which is a tough blow for him he was finally heating up under coach Woodcroft three points in his last four games I guess easy come easy go for fantasy managers like yourself Brian who pounced on him with the new deployment uh, Zach Hyman like I mentioned was the fourth forward on the top power play on Saturday and he scored a power play goal but uh, maybe Kane will bump him at some point so we'll have to see what happens uh, you know the Edmonton lines you could just talk about it forever right like it's always shifting around lately there's randos like Ryan McLeod was playing with Dreisaitl and Evander Kane in the last game uh, Derek Ryan and Fogel were playing with Ryan Nugent Hopkins and like all these randos that I'm talking about have actually gotten some points recently so brian is there any nobody on edmonton that you're interested in moving forward are you at a point now where like whenever we talk about edmonton and we bring up some random guy like uh derek ryan or uh who did i say here ryan mcleod playing with dry or with mcdavid you just like you just like gloss over it because it never lasts and never is meaningful we were saying earlier in the season that that's exactly how we felt about the the laundry list of guys who ends up playing with McDavid and doing nothing. But you're asking me a question, which guy might I raise some eyebrows at and might I want to add of all the depth players in Edmonton? If you want to take a shot, I think Warren Fogle is a half decent shot to take. He might have the best odds of both playing on the top line with McDavid and actually doing something with it. I don't know if you'll remember, but he played with Carolina for the first four years of his career. Um, Never was much more than a 35-point player there, but was also a bottom sixer. Was traded to Carol, uh, was traded to Edmonton in exchange for Ethan Bear, who, by the way, has had a really successful season defensively as a top four pair defenseman. So uh, you have to wonder if Edmonton would like a mulligan on that one. Um, Warren, Warren Vogel had a, a nice little run not long ago of four points over three games, two goals and two assists with 10 shots. 
that was nice playing 10 to 12 minutes a night. So I don't know if he's going to be able to actually take advantage of any of this. He did have a look uh, earlier this year where uh, he was playing up with McDavid, did nothing with it. And remember, the depth chart was already pretty crowded with Pugliarvi in the lineup. Like we were talking about how Pugliarvi, Hyman, Evander Kane, and Yamamoto would be rotating through the high value exposure spots on the Edmonton depth chart. So it's not like there's all of a sudden a ton of opportunity for anybody else in Edmonton. But uh, if it's anybody, I guess it's Warren Fogel. Okay, so a name to keep in mind, I guess. Uh, next year in my notes for the episode, I was going to talk about Miko Koskinen, who came off the COVID protocol. He put up a nice start, stopping 22 of 24 in the 4-2 win over Winnipeg on Saturday that I have here. Report on Mike Smith today. So I put it in, like with triangle brackets. Whenever I write that in my notes, it means to go check the game and see how he did. Uh, I already have done that. Mike Smith did very badly. <laughs> so I wonder now if Miko Koskinen is someone that people should consider. Like he had that good game. You know, Coach Woodcroft obviously doesn't love Mike Smith like the last coach did so i don't know if cost let's see how Koskin does for the rest of this game versus minnesota but i'm not even gonna ask you a question about it we don't need to dig into it. it's impossible to predict uh i know that Stuart skinner also had a great game earlier this week so who knows what's gonna happen in the edmonton net but definitely not a good outing for mike smith uh one last question about the oilers though evan bouchard is starting to not look like a great hold at this point uh you know like tyson barry's been back on the top power play had a power play assist on saturday looks like he's also been on the top power play today uh, bouchard played only 13 minutes and 19 seconds in the game on Saturday. No shots, no blocks, only one hit. So I guess a cardio workout for Evan Bouchard as well, except he ran into someone at some point. Uh, I don't know how today's game is going to end up, but I assume that we've got to start recommending for people to look elsewhere if they've been depending on Evan Bouchard. We actually had a little chat today in our ad drop trade channel on our patrons only server on discord by the way we've mentioned this a few times this show keepingcarlson.com slash patron or patreon.com slash keepingcarlson whatever suits your fancy look in the show notes if you want to get in on those conversations but we were talking about uh there was a conversation where someone wanted to drop it was ryan he wanted to drop uh, evan bouchard or was asking for permission to drop evan bouchard to make room for jack hughes coming off of ir of course the ultimate answer was that jack hughes doesn't play for another few days so just keep bouchard and i or keep hughes and ir maybe someone else is going to get injured in the meantime but the best available defenseman in free agency which i was curious about to know if you drop bouchard is going to be far and away the best option there there was petrie shillington and muzzin in free agency. And so with those guys, if those guys are sitting in free agency, I feel like you could drop Bouchard. Of course, it's hard because he does have that top power play upside. But with Barry playing up there and having maybe a, a fresh lease on the role with a new coach, Bouchard is a little less exciting than he was a week or two ago. But at least he still does fill some categories along the way. So you can still decide to wait on him because that upside is there. But for now, if you really just added him because he's a top power play quarterback, it's time to let go until he gets another look. Yeah, he's not going to fill many categories when he's only playing 13 minutes a night. So yeah. And by the way, in that list, you said Jeff Petrie's starting to... Okay, I mean, I won't keep harping on it, and, and he might end up uh, turning back into a pumpkin himself. But like, you know, right now, I think I'd prefer Petrie than Evan Bouchard, for what it's worth, in a lot of formats. Uh, not in the Keeper League, of course. Uh, Tyson Barry, by the way, isn't the only guy to take back a top power play QB job recently. Last week, we started the show talking about Winnipeg's great schedule and how Josh Morrissey has taken over the PP1 job there. Uh, Morrissey has 
definitely made us look good on how we started that last show. Uh, he has pointed in his last three games, has five points in his last five games. Hopefully you added him on our recommendation last show. He also has a great schedule this next week. Four more games next week. He's on the top power play in Winnipeg. Like, what more can you want? Uh, I can't imagine, Brian, you're going to be dissuading people from grabbing Josh Morrissey. Uh, but I do know that you're still holding Neil Pionk on your couple team. I feel like at this point I'm going to have to make it a weekly segment on the show. Like, unless either Pionk just heats up or you drop him. I'm just so curious to know, what are your plans with Neil Pionk? How long are you going to keep holding him on your team? He had a brutal showing versus Edmonton on Saturday. Zeros across the board. I guess another uh, cardio workout to talk about. Very Bouchard-esque, actually. Uh, So if you don't think my Barry connection to Morrissey to transition to Winnipeg was good, then we could do it by saying he had a Bouchard-esque game. Either way... Uh, Morrissey's good. Neil Pionk looking super snoozery right now. I can't imagine holding him, but I know it's tough because you probably used a lot of draft capital to acquire him. Well, there is that, but I'm also familiar with the sunk cost fallacy. So it's okay if I sunk draft capital into a guy that I'm sure is not going to pan out at this point, but I'm not sure Pionk isn't going to pan out. He's been bad, bad, bad. And how about Josh Morrissey? What a week. Uh, really cementing his top power play role, at least in the short term. It's rare that we've ever seen this kind of production from Josh Morrissey, even with opportunity. I'm not convinced it'll last yet. Like, yes, we named our last episode after him, but it also led off with me saying, even on the top power play, Morrissey still might not do much or might not do enough to be rosterable, depending on your format. But there it is. He did it this past week. So we'll see if he can do it again. As for Pionk, I mean, we've talked plenty about him. So I actually uh, went to our patrons and said, what should I say about Neil Pionk on tonight's show? And uh, John Newhold, fellow tier one competitor to you, Elon, and former fast track winner in the cupful. uh, He said, as a Pionk owner, I feel like you should probably recommend everyone go out and trade for him right now, give up big assets. And uh, I thought that was really great. So if you are in tier one or tier two in the cupful, do that. If you're anyone else, um, maybe take Mops's advice, which was that uh, I guess I'm holding, uh, she wrote, I guess I'm holding on in blind faith due to the fact that uh, Pionk produced last year without top power play time. He's still producing peripherals and has a decent-ish remaining schedule. And I think that pretty much hits the nail on the head. It's like Pionk's floor is supposed to be decent enough that even in lean scoring times, he's worth holding. That's barely been true lately. But I still think that makes him just rosterable enough to hope that, I don't know, he doesn't even need a bump in deployment. He's had poor deployment before and still been performing much better than he has lately. So again, all I can do is hold on because I look at the free agent defensemen out there and they're not much better than Pionk has been and they don't have his upside. I don't even care about his upside, though. I don't think he's going to reach it. I just want steady peripherals from him. Elon, you can tell I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble figuring out what to say about Pionk, because I think if you have him, it's kind of like our Shikrin advice earlier in the season. You're kind of just stuck with him. Are you like if you had Pionk on your roster, would you be cutting ties? I mean, obviously, it's easy to say since I don't have him. I feel like, you know me, Brian, I'm not that patient, right? If Once someone's lost the power play, like, the only reason I'd be holding him is because of the schedule, right? If he had, like, a two-game week coming up, I feel like he'd be a really tough hold. Like, I'm looking at your free agency. 
I hope I'm not going to blow anything up here about like potential ideas you have. But I'm seeing like Mikhail Sergachev out there, who I would definitely prefer more than Pionk. But of course, Tampa's barely played, and they again only play two times next week. But I wonder if you can. Anyway, now obviously I saw from your reaction that maybe you didn't want me to say that, but I think there's some potential people out there that I might like more than Pionk at this point. But I get why you're holding him, hoping for the upside at least for weeks where he has a good schedule. But you know, just because one year he did well not on the top power play, still like we have lots of data points from lots of other people in the league who generally you don't a defenseman isn't that valuable if they're not on the top power play in fantasy and so it's it's usually a rare case that someone is able to do it like you know Alex Petrangelo we're hoping and expecting that he'll be able to do it by the way uh Jack Eichel scored a second goal so he's having a huge game and forget you know I agreed with you by the way at the start of the show that Jack Eichel is someone that people (laughs) should wait for and not be concerned about uh anyway I don't know. I'd be pretty low on Pionk. I get why you're holding... It's funny, in the chat here, Adam is saying, Pionk isn't a simple drop in Kakuffle? Uh Kind of saying, like, how are you guys even talking about this? But then Optimal Hunter responded, like, I'd pick up Pionk in a heartbeat. So, and then Adam's like, I'd cut him no problem. So, it's tough. That's also how I was thinking it, uh, of it. Like, if I dropped Pionk, I am sure a team would nab him. Maybe a team in a more comfortable standings position that doesn't have to fight and claw week in, week out. Although, in Tier 2, there's... I think everybody is fighting and clawing, whether it's for a first uh, first week by in the playoffs or just to get in or stay or stay out of the basement. Uh, so I, yeah, I, you know me, I'm overly patient and I feel like Pionk is still doing just enough to hold a spot on my roster, but it's getting frustrating. Like, I just feel like I've already dropped him and I'm burning a roster spot until he comes back. Something to watch for. Uh, he played fewer than 18 minutes against Edmonton on Saturday night, and I'm just going through his game log. Yep, that is a season-low ice time for Pionk, and it's a trend in the last five games that his ice time is substantially lower than it has been for most of the year. So if that keeps up, yeah, that's another. That would be the nail in uh, in Pionk's coffin right there. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, 76% rostered, in Yahoo and Josh Morrissey is only 43% rostered. I will say I would definitely take Morrissey over Pionk at this point. Uh, so if that's any indication, if there's people out there who have Pionk and Morrissey's available, that's definitely a swap I would make. Uh, okay, so speaking of famous NHL Neils who can forget about the big news from last June when Scott O'Neill stepped down as the CEO of the New Jersey Devils. Remember that, Brian? And uh, since we're talking about the Devils anyways, I just wanted to issue a friendly reminder that the New Jersey Devils are actually still a team in the NHL that does play games sometimes. It hasn't seemed like it lately. I can't recall the last time they played, but they are going to finally start playing again soon, uh, but not that soon. <laughs> They're going to play Thursday and Friday next week, and uh, we've been seeing some practices over the weekend, and Jesper Bratt and Dougie Hamilton both participated in those practices. So if you have either in your IR, it's like good news that they'll likely be back i think Jesper bratt's like almost for sure going to be back and hamilton's still like adjusting to this uh, helmet or something that he's having to use because if he, ha- he had that broken jaw but either way uh it's good news that they'll be back but also be warned that any moment now right yahoo can change the designation on bratt like if there's a tweet being like bratt is healthy and is going to play on thursday he might lose his ir designation so if you want to keep him in your ir until thursday you may want to make your moves early like again i added like jeff petrie who's going to play like monday wednesday so maybe go out and grab like a halves guy playing monday wednesday like soon and then you can like hold that person even if brad is healthy and then drop that person for brad on thursday so that's like you know a little bit of strategy there knowing that you have a player in ir who could lose their designation anytime now the lines in practice had jack hughes centering mercer and sharon govich and then he shares centering brad and zaka 
Uh, Severson, for what it's worth, was still practicing on the top power play and Hamilton on the second power play. But of course, again, they don't play till Thursday, so a lot can change. Uh, a reminder, it feels like a million years ago, but Jaeger Sharangovich has two goals and five assists in his last four games. He was on this huge hot streak before New Jersey stopped playing, and he's going to be going right back to playing with Jack Hughes on the top line. So he's definitely someone I'd be looking at if he's available. You could try to wait until Thursday to add him, but he might be someone you might want to jump in on like Wednesday. Maybe grab like a Toronto guy playing Monday, Tuesday, and then swap over on Wednesday. So you give yourself a little bit of breathing room before someone else pounces on Sharon Govich ahead of you. Uh, but yeah, Brian, like there's actually a lot of New Jersey players available in my couple division. In fact, only Hughes, Bratt, and Hamilton are rostered and everyone else is available to me. So that means like Keishier, Severson, Zaka, Mercer, Sharon Govich, all out there. So if you're up for it, Brian, I'd love a second ranking. I already asked you to rank some ducks. Can you rank some devils for me on uh, who you'd be rushing out to grab most quickly in terms of their potential long-term holdability for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'll do that really quickly for you. And I think it's good to remember Sharon Govich has probably been dropped in a lot of leagues because a huge gap between New Jersey's last game and their next one, which I think is on Thursday. But if you're looking for a double streamer, the way I would order them are, or maybe someone to hold the rest of the season, Sharon Govich, Hishir, Severson, Zaka, and Mercer, and by the way, before I ask you f- for your opinion, I do like I did roll my eyes when you said Sergachev because I dropped him because of his bad schedule and, you know, might still have him on my watch list as somebody I'd like to add again when he can actually be helpful to my team. Tampa's schedule has just been brutal lately. So sorry to the Kucherov and Stamkos owners out there, as well as the Jack Hughes or Dougie Hamilton or Jesper Brad or a couple of those guys have been injured anyway. But okay, again, my Devils rankings, Sharon Govich, Hishir, Severson, Zaka, Mercer, Elon. Do you feel like I got that right? Do you feel any differently? No, I think it's good. Like, I think it's interesting that you have Sharon Govich over Heesher. I, I know you've loved Heesher forever. I thought you'd have Heesher first. I think that could definitely go either way. But yeah, it's hard to ignore what Sharon Govich has been doing and the chemistry he's had with Jack Hughes. Uh, by the way, I wonder how many of our listeners can even name the two New Jersey Devils goalies on their roster right now uh, with Mackenzie Blackwood still out with that heel injury. I don't even know if he's coming back. Like, We haven't really heard much. Uh, Jonathan Bernier is out for the season. So I hope I've given people enough time to try to guess. And if you guessed John Gillies and Akira Schmidt, uh, you're correct but both have been so bad like you have an excuse for not knowing that right like there's also this guy Nico Dawes who's played a couple of games recently and yeah they've all been bad right in a season where Arizona and Buffalo remember going into the year we were like laughing at how crazy the goalie pairs in Arizona and Buffalo were looking like how is it that like Arizona's gonna go in with Carter Hutton and this like Vaymelka guy and how is it that like Buffalo's gonna go in with like Craig Anderson and whoever was supposed to be the backup like wasn't Aaron Dell I don't know and, and then like New Jersey was looking pretty good with Blackwood and Bernier we thought that could be a strong tandem now it's like very clearly the New Jersey goalies are the ones you want to avoid the most I think in any given game like I have no confidence in Gillies or Schmid or, or Nico Dawes I wonder if uh, maybe at some point New Jersey tries to trade for a goalie or do they just consider this a lost season and hope for a, a top pick? Like maybe, a, I don't know, Anton Hudobin is still out there on Dallas. Uh, but no, it's pretty crazy it. how bad they are. Yeah, there's no point in trying to salvage this season for the Devils. They are dead last in the Metropolitan. They're ranked 29th in the league. Uh, goaltending has totally tanked them. This year, they've actually been okay outside of that, but their goalies have been terrible, which is a bummer. 
after, you know, they had Corey Crawford and then he retired instead of play there. Then they got Jonathan Bernier, who's been injured all year while Blackwood struggles yet again, both to stay healthy and while he's in the net. So at this point, I think the devil's best move may just be to let things play out, tank, and hope they get a great pick to go with a team that's already a few years into a rebuild. A nice high pick that pans out sooner rather than later could actually, like, this could be good news uh, for the Devils in the long run, who've seen their fair share of bad luck in the last couple years. There's There's been a lot of hope snuffed out uh, from each of the last couple seasons, especially this one. But I think the Devils are going to be okay eventually, assuming they can break whatever curse has befallen their crease the last few seasons. But I don't think this year, right now, is the time to go and get someone who's going to win them some games. I think that would be the worst thing for them to do right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I'll be honest, the main reason I brought up Hudobin as an option was just so I could transition to talk about the Dallas Stars. Uh. <laughs> Though actually, before I do that, uh, we were getting some interesting updates here in the chat. Apparently, Barry's been off the top power. This is according to K-Towny City, so blame them if, if this is incorrect. But Barry off the top power play nurse there this time. So. I also saw that Bouchard through two Oilers power plays has not seen any time on any power play. Yeah, so, I don't know. Something to watch. I'm very n- uninterested in Bouchard. Like, less interested than in Neil P- Pionk, for what it's worth, right now. Uh, but, okay, I wanted to go to Dallas next. We talked about Hudobin. Uh, remember when Dallas started the season with Holtby and Hudobin as their goalies? Jake Ettinger was going to start in the minors. I remember in Schmore Goalies Board, that yearly show we do where we tier goalies. And, Brian, you wanted to point out that, like, while Ettinger won't be in, like, an official tier, you definitely pointed out that, like, he could very likely end up as the starter at some point. Well, well, that some point has come and it is now because Edinger has started five of Dallas's last six games that was going into today Dallas played Arizona and yeah Edinger played again took a loss uh, it was a 3-1 win for Arizona so big upset there but uh, Edinger played well stopped 24 of 26 just another good start for him uh Holtby is still somehow 33% rostered in Yahoo which is higher than Rob Thomas which I think makes no sense uh clearly uh Holtby is a snoozer here right like Ettinger's been so good I didn't even mention right he uh had 46 saves in a 4-1 win over Colorado on Tuesday then he had a 34 save shutout over the Hawks on Friday so that makes his uh like 923 save percentage game today look like not even that good compared to what he's been doing lately that's how good Jake Ettinger has been so I'm assuming you're going to agree that Holpe is an obvious snoozer. And then as far as Edinger goes, like, how high is this ceiling? Like, do you think he has it in him to be kind of like the 2020-21 UC Saros? Like, where, you know, he didn't do much in the first half. Like, I think Saros was injured for a lot of it and also kind of struggled. Uh, Edinger didn't struggle. He just wasn't in the league. Uh, but then, if you recall, Saros had such an amazing second half that he ended up uh, entering the Vesna conversation. And the way Edinger's been playing lately, I wonder if something similar could happen. Definitely. I Like, you know, like, as I said, as earlier this year, going into training camp, uh, and then when Ettinger finally got an opportunity to get on the roster because of the injury, then when he was still on the roster and playing half the games with Holtby while Hudobin was in the press box, I've been saying since the start that Ettinger has huge upside this year, and I could see him taking over the crease by the end of the year. I can't say how much I believed myself, but the line was he should take over the crease by the end of the year. It's there. It's right there for the taking. And I'm so elated to see that he's done it. Reason has prevailed. Talent has prevailed. Way to go, Jake Edinger. He is Dallas's best chance to contend for a playoff spot and make a run with this group perhaps one last time before it's blown up. As much as they'll try to blow it up with some salaries, they'll have a hard time moving. But why not? 
give Ettinger the net and go both to see how far the Stars can get this year and also to get him some experience. Uh, There are some high-stakes games coming up for the Stars to try and earn a playoff spot. Why not have the future of your franchise tending the crease while you do that to get him some big game experience? So I don't see why at this point the Stars would deviate from having Jake Ettinger start the Lions' share of their games. He is the most competent goalie in their crease, and I think it's by a sizable gap. Yeah, man, Jake Ettinger, another guy who I got to kick myself over. He was in free agency a lot of times in my leagues, even somewhat recently. I assumed you know, probably 50-50, like that's how it had been going, or maybe even Holtby getting the starts, but no, like at some point, Rick Bonus has just decided, hey, Edinger's better, Brian was right, <laughs> and they've been riding him, and he's been fantastic, I don't see that changing anytime soon, and yeah, Dallas, like, definitely still has a shot to take a run, like, you know, they're not having the most amazing season, but they're still like 27-20-2 now, and, you know, that top line is so good, and if Edinger can keep this up, their defense we know is great with Heikeskin in them, maybe they don't trade Klingberg at the deadline, I'll be interested to see what the Stars do for the rest of this season, uh, let's uh, do some other goalie news to end the show here. So in Ottawa, Anton Forsberg has had four straight strong starts in a row uh, today. Oh, because Matt Murray's on the shelf, I should mention. So that's why. And we don't know how long that'll be for, but Murray is injury prone. So I know he potentially could play next week, but he may not, right? Like he may end up aggravating something. And you've got to look at Anton Forsberg. Like I know uh, Gustafsson played today for the Sens because they also played yesterday and he uh, did okay. The Rangers beat Ottawa 2-1 to and Philip Gustafsson stopped the 31 of 33 shots. So a, a pretty good game. Ottawa must be like protecting their goalies. Well, all of a sudden, like Murray, Forsberg, Gustafsson, all like doing really well. When's the last time an Ottawa goalie got blown up? Uh, but yeah, Forsberg's someone I'm definitely interested in if Murray's going to be on the shelf because Ottawa... Like, like I said, like he's playing well right now, so why not jump on that for at least the short term? By the way, also in Ottawa, Thomas Shabbat had been injured, but it looks like he may be back early next week. So anyone who was like riding Eric Brandstrom, who got a power play assist versus St. Louis, you know, that that's probably over once Shabbat is back. Uh, and then speaking of goalies, over in Columbus, like all the goalies are injured. Like Merzlikens suffered a lower body injury in practice on Saturday. He's day-to-day. Korpasalo and Tarasov are also hurt. So J.F. Barubi, remember him? Andrew Hammond and J.F. Barubi both played games today which are not goalies I expected to see this season. Uh, so how did Barube do? I believe that Columbus won. I'm bringing it out. Yeah, Columbus beat. Oh, uh, wait, both of them won. So uh, yeah, Hammond beat uh, the Islanders for the halves and Barube won for the Blue Jackets. Blue Jackets won 7-3 over Buffalo and Barube stopped 33 of 36 shots. Not a bad start at all. So I don't know. There's some new goalies, I guess, on our radar in Hammond, Anton Forsberg, like I mentioned, and maybe even JF Barube, depending on how serious these injuries in Columbus are. I don't think there's much more to say than that. I, all these guys, Hammond, uh, Scott Wedgwood played at one today, put up a gem of a, of a start. This is goalies, right? I mean, JF Barube has had a career where he's been uh, like, I, I don't know if you remember, there was a time where he was the third goalie in the Islanders crease. And he was just sitting because they didn't want to lose him for nothing. And then I, I can't remember how he eventually ended up leaving Long Island. But Whenever, like, he, they barely used him. And then when he left, he didn't get to play at all. He played 13 games with NHL, with, with Chicago, um, that I don't even remember at all, actually. In 2017 18, hit an 894 save percentage in them. Haven't seen him in the NHL since. That's like four years. He's been toiling in the AHL, uh, mostly with sub 900 save percentages. So this guy's uh, now with Columbus. Good job with the win. I'm not going to get too excited about him. Elon, I'm surprised you're not going to ask me to rank 
these goalies who we don't well, really no. <laughs> know. I'd go Hammond first, and then the Sens goalies, and then I think I'd go like Wedgwood and Baruby are both totally unreliable, but Baruby's more likely to start because there's nobody else. Can you imagine? Is I, I keep feeling bummed because this is this is not the first time that Merzlikens and Corpusal have both been battling through injury this year. Tarasov, it would have been so nice to see more of him this year. Just really bad timing for him to be injured as well. But um, I think that's all I have to say about these goalies, unless there's an angle, Elon, that you think I can offer that we haven't covered. No, I just wanted to mention it, like some more names that people need to have on their radars if they're looking for spot starts. I'll take any of these guys over a New Jersey goalie. I'll tell you that. Yes, agreed. Uh, So another team I wanted to bring up, I guess I'm done now with the free association because this is just some late notes I put in here. We got a couple of tweets with uh, people asking us questions about the Florida Panthers. First of all, we had a tweet from Scuba Steve who asked any insight on Sam Bennett. He's dropped right off and is now producing nothing. All his categories are tanking. I'm thinking of dropping him for Clayton Keller. Yeah, but you know, anytime I think about Sam Bennett, this isn't nice, I guess. But all I do is think back to the tier one auction draft episode we did where John Newhold drafted Sam Bennett and then like talked for so long about how amazing of a pick it was and and made me super jealous and I remember like right after some reason I feel like I'll remember this to my grave like I remember I uh, drafted <laughs> Ryan O'Reilly like a couple picks later and he was still talking about Sam Bennett and I was thinking like, you guys should be talking about Ryan O'Reilly he's just as good as Sam and anyways and I was like wrong for most of the season Sam Bennett was amazing it was a really good pick for John or so it seemed until all of a sudden yeah like Scuba Steve is saying he's disappeared no points in his last four games that's including today the Panthers beat Chicago 5-2 to two, another game where the Panthers score a bunch of goals because that's just what they do they're so amazing but yeah nothing for Bennett he only played 13 minutes and 50 seconds um, he was on the top power play but they only had 20 seconds of power play time I guess they must have just had one power play where they scored a quick goal but yeah like it's uh, not looking good for Sam Bennett right like four pointless games if I look at the lines what were these lines? So it was Reinhardt, Marchment, and Lundell is like the third line that keeps producing. Mason Marchment is insane. Uh, Barkov was playing with Huberdo and Duclair for a lot of the game. And I see also there was Barkov with Duclair and Verhage. So I guess they were shifting things around. I'm seeing there was a decent amount of time where Bennett was playing with Verhage and Achari. If that's the case, that's not great for Verhage or Bennett, right? Like you definitely don't like Verhage losing his exposure to Barkov or Sam Bennett not playing with Huberdo. So it sounds like Barkov and Huberdo, if they stay reunited, then that kind of is a kiss of death for both Bennett and Verhage. Obviously, this was just, you know, mid-game changes. So we'll see what happens for the next game. But I'd be, con- yeah, right now, uh, without having looked too much, because we just got this tweet right before we started recording the show, I'm a little bit concerned about Bennett. And I'm also a little bit concerned about Verhage, who did score a goal today so or, or did he I, I know he got a point at least Carter, oh one assist so not nothing but both of them are in some flux right now in terms of their deployment Verhege's been really quiet for a while which has been frustrating as you know I have Verhege I want him to be attached to Barkov and in another league I have Sam Bennett and he's been frustrating and I've actually been shopping him around hoping that no one has noticed that yeah his ice time has gone straight down this guy was seeing at least 16 minutes and often 20 minutes a night through the first two and a half months of the season. Then he missed a few games, uh, and his ice time has been drastically changed since then, including being bumped off the top power play. And it's very weird because this all seems to have happened right around New Year's when he did miss uh, four out of five games. He came back, played five games, then missed another, and has been back ever since. 
but like a shadow of himself. The good news is he's still shooting. Uh, well, he was anyway. He has just three shots in his last three games. But before that, he was up to 18 shots in his last in, in a run of five games without being on the top power play unit and only playing 13 to 15 minutes a night. So this is a time to see if you can catch other people in your league napping on Sam Bennett and not realize that he has really slowed down. And I don't know if this ends. It's been a solid 15 games now that he's not getting the deployment that he was at one point in the season. I haven't seen any explanation as to why this is happening. I'm eager to find one, but something's got to change soon for Sam Bennett if he's going to help you through the rest of the season the way he might have been helping you at the start of the year. One very strange part of his stat line, 21 goals and just nine assists. So if he's not scoring, no one else is, and he's scoring on a higher percentage of shots than he's ever scored before. So there's a lot of reasons to be afraid of uh, having Sam Bennett and having to recalibrate your expectations for what he's going to offer you the rest of the season. So yeah, Brian, as many people know, uh, Jonathan Huberdeau is leading the NHL in assists by a significant margin at this point. He's up to like 53 assists and Connor McDavid has 45. So obviously Bennett was very much benefiting from playing with Huberdeau at even strength for all of this time during the season. I if, Like if he split up from Huberdeau, that's a huge loss because uh, as good as Sam Bennett may be, I think when you're playing with what's looking like maybe one of the best playmakers in the league right now, you're obviously going to score a lot of goals. And if you get separated from him, man, it's almost like florida be cool like don't put barkov and huberdo together it's so mean it takes away all this opportunity from all these other players now we have to watch and wait and see how the lines look for their next game good thing is that the florida beat writers are always quick to tweet out lines so we'll know soon what the plan is for the next game and you'll be able to check it out over at gamedaylinetweets.com uh, I guess we had another question actually about the Panthers about Anthony Duclair who has a super high shooting percentage I think this tweet came in after Duclair had scored a goal but that goal ended up getting called off so it's not as exciting uh, but yeah it was born on the Cairo asses no one talking about Duclair's sustained 25% shooting percentage this season seems to only shoot when he knows that he's going to score it's unreal and yeah so good for Duclair if he's going to be playing with Barkov and Huberdeau that'll be obviously a really sweet spot for him to be in but now that he didn't score today it looks like he you know that's not fair right we're going to say he had a cardio run because he didn't have any shots or any points today but he actually did score then it got called off because of an offside so bad luck for Duclair and if you're thinking of dropping him now because you're seeing that he went cold yet again you should know that uh, by no fault of his own uh you know he should have had a goal today and then you'd be thinking something differently so something to keep in mind moving forward Sure, absolutely. By the way, we have been talking about Duclair's uh, inflated shooting percentage all season long, especially because I dropped him at one point because I didn't think it would continue and I had a tough decision to make. And he's continued it all the way through Duclair shooting 23%, uh, which is twice as high as he's ever shot before. So way to go. That's great. He's not the 72 point player, though, that he's making himself out to be. He's probably more like, uh, I don't know, I think around a 60-point guy. But we've, we've mentioned this on the show. So yeah, thanks for bringing it up. We always appreciate the tweets. Elon, before we go, I just want to give the the last uh, Vegas update to really bookend the show here. Jack Eichel, now you mentioned he has, a go- he has a goal and an assist. One of his goals was changed to Max Pacioretty's, but Eichel has five shots and Pacioretty has a goal and three shots. So he has broken the streak. I did it. Elon, I broke Max Pacioretty <laughs> out of his funk. He has three shots, at least three shots in a game for the first time in eight contests. Way to go, Max Pacioretty. Are you back? 
<laughs> we'll find out, I guess, soon. But I don't know. So how much credit should we give? Let's say 50% credit to Brian, 30% credit to Eichel, and then maybe 20% credit to Pacioretty for Pacioretty finally getting those shots again. So yeah, good for him and good for everyone. So maybe, Brian, you were saying before that people should be trying to trade him. Has your mind changed now? Because the one thing that I got nervous about when you said that people should try to trade him is I was just thinking like, yeah, but he's playing with Eichel now. <laughs> and Eichel's so good. I don't know if you want to trade the guy who's about to get this amazing all-star center. So the caveat is that this is happening against the Sharks, right? Who have just been playing terribly as of late. I, you know, I'm not surprised they're giving up shots and goals. There's there's not a whole lot to love with the way San Jose's been playing at both ends of the ice lately. But maybe now you wait. You know, if it was another one or two shot game, I'd continue to be concerned. Now that Patretti's broken, that two shot barrier for the first time, like I said, in eight games, maybe that's a reason. Now, it's like we said about Bjorkstrand. On the last show, right? He had, or two weeks ago, we saw he had seven shots over two games, and we thought that was a, a ray of hope. So now we have a ray of hope at this point in the show that we didn't have at the start, which means that uh, you could still shop around and kick tires. Don't make a deal. Wait to see how Patretti does in another game, see that you can go, keep it up. By the way, Bjorkstrand has uh, five points in his last six games now and had a five shot game a couple games ago. Yeah, he's playing with Patrick Laine, so you know good things are going to happen. Since we're bookending things, Edmonton now is down 6-2 to two to Minnesota. So Miko Koskinen came in after Smith led in four goals, and he's quickly led in two goals on 10 shots. So, you know, maybe like, maybe he's not the answer either. Maybe Minnesota is just too good. Man, that Boldy and Fiala line, three goals now. Two for Fiala, one for Boldy. They they just don't stop. But Brian, I, I guess we could keep talking hockey. Oh, actually, there's one other thing I wanted to bring up quickly. I, I noticed that Kyle Palmieri is back, which seems like so irrelevant because he was doing nothing all year he's on the top line with Barzal and Anders Lee who which again like is kind of irrelevant like it seems like it hasn't mattered who's been playing with those yeah. guys it's not even like those guys have been so good but uh Palmieri scored today against Andrew Hammond which wasn't an easy thing for most Islanders to do and that brings him to three goals in his last three games he's also taken three shots in each of his last three games so I don't know top line scoring goals taking shots Islanders play four times next week I think you could do worse than a Kyle Palmieri stream at this point just throwing it out there Throw it out there for sure. Top line, second power play, 13 and a half minutes in two of his last three games. And actually for most of the last seven or eight for Kyle Palmieri. So three goals on his last nine shots. That's great. Nine hits in his last two games too. So that's great. Throwing his weight around, uh, getting involved, getting activated in the game. But And maybe that's helping Kyle Palmieri. Uh, you're right, Elon, a, a decent deep league streamer for a game if you want to try and throw someone in there in a league where almost everybody's gone. He has just 10 points in 32 games so far. He's had a chance to produce on the top line already. Like you said, this spot has been pretty irrelevant for most people. But uh, I think he's at least worth a mention based on that recent performance. Yeah, and of course, four games next week for Paul Mary, but you have to check to see how many of those games you'll be able to actually fit him into your roster. If you're already full for forwards on Tuesday and Saturday, then that quickly turns into two games, which is a lot less exciting for you. Right, here's a weird thing. Do you ever have this in fantasy? I'm looking at my matchup in our Best Buds Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, and I'm currently up by 10, which I'm happy about because it was a close matchup going into today. I, I spent all morning deciding whether or not I should add Andrew Hammond or someone else, and then I added Hammond, and then it really hit. Like, he got 10 fantasy points. So now I'm almost like 
like hoping that I win by less than 10 points so that all that like worrying about whether or not I should add Andrew Hammond or not actually paid off and it actually was like a weak winning move but so now I'm like cheering for my opponent to get just like a couple more points that's that's really weird right or is that just like a common fantasy hockey thing I think that's a common fantasy hockey thing you want to be able to pat yourself on the back otherwise you wasted the move and you could have used it to help your team for next week so it's a it is a funny little cognitive thing but I'm with you I want to win by exactly the amount of the brilliant move that I feel like I made yeah and but now it's tough because like you said like Hammond probably won't play tomorrow like Montebo will play tomorrow but he'll play Wednesday do I hold on maybe he's the starter oh my gosh uh big John uh, my co-manager John Reed we, we got some talking to do tonight but okay Brian I think with that we could probably end the show hopefully everyone has enjoyed our free association around the league I've been having a lot of fun this time has just flown by uh, but yeah we've reached the end of our program thank you so much everyone for listening if you're not subscribed to Keeping Carlson like what are you waiting for we'd really appreciate it if you just subscribe get those episodes automatically downloaded then you'll hear from me and Brian every week and also Ben and Lewis's awesome short shifts contributions on Wednesday and Friday mornings they do such a great job job uh we're really happy with what's going on in our keeping carlson feed also our what would you call like our sister show or our cousin show with cousin dave benton at the stream scheme a really awesome program that he releases on a separate feed every sunday where dave gives his best streamers for just the next week looking at the schedule i really really enjoyed everything it's like a lot of fun and it's like interesting like it's fun just to hear him talk and he has like fun music and all that and also it's really great advice and then uh, you know every week he also looks back on the his picks from the previous week and then talks about whether he'll hold you should hold or drop those players so he does a great job so check that out at the stream scheme follow us on twitter at keeping carlson i don't know we could probably be better at tweeting to be honest like every once in a while i think we have a good tweet but we're not at, actually i think the short shifts guys like ben and lewis at short shifts kk they probably have better tweets than us maybe we should work on that but definitely if you tweeted us with an advice question we're always quick to answer you there and, and if you follow us i promise we're gonna we're gonna start turning right brian we you're gonna start putting out some good you did a tweet today that i saw how, how many uh likes did you get for your tweet you did today about patcheretti got a handful might have hit double digits Okay, there you go. We got so there's something going on there. Uh, so uh, yeah, follow us at Keeping Carlson. Uh, like I said, subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. Keeping Carlson. What else do people say? Oh yeah, we have a Patreon, which Brian had mentioned before. We're having a lot of fun in our Discord community, uh, and that's one of the few perks we give you if you sign up as a patron you also get access to our monthly patron only shows we did one last wednesday which was a ton of fun i had a great time we recorded that like a minute after i learned that i had a successful bid on a house and so i was a little bit shell-shocked for the show but brian uh very nicely told me afterwards that he didn't think it was noticeable i felt it all throughout that i was like uh thinking through how my finances are going to be in flux for the next 30 years of my life while also trying to talk fantasy but it was a really fun show and so you can get that, you get access to our community and some other things. So check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But I guess I've been rambling for quite a while, so I'm going to clamp it down right now. Let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Flash, Christopher, Jake, Tom, Andrea, Derek, David, Robin, Patty. Thank you all so much for your ongoing support. If you want to support future episodes of the show and get some awesome perks in return, go to patreon.com slash keepingcarlson. Also, thank you to our sponsor, HelloFresh. If you want that deal with the 16 free meals and three free gifts, take a look for the link in our show notes. And this episode was researched with help from... Well, I'll mention Shams Benamore because I use his feeds 
all the time. His and yours, Elon, uh, at Game Day Lines, at Game Day News NHL, and at Game Day Goalies to stay up to date on all the latest in fantasy. Also, you can follow Ben and Lewis at Short Shifts KK and Dave at Betton of Stream Scheme at NHL Stream Scheme. Logo art by BrandonWeave.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, HockeyGoalies.org, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports Edge, and Yahoo. Great job as always, Brian. Uh, this was a ton of fun, like I said, and I'm looking forward to doing it all again next week. Me too. But until then, you know what I'll be doing? I'll be doing everything I can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone, and I invite you to join me.